You are Locked On MLB, your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast where we talk about all of Major League Baseball. And I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. On this episode, which is being dropped on the fourth day of March 2020, I'm going to be talking about how the Brewers get it. Maybe the Red Sox don't. Bad news for a big star in the Red Sox. I crow about something I said a few years ago and other things that pop into my brain. This show is available on the free and easy-to-use Himalaya podcasting app. We're also available on Apple Podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts, we're available. You can listen to us directly on the site, LockdownMLB.com. When you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast, LockdownMLB, or check out some of the great shows on the Lockdown Podcast Network, including Lockdown Red Sox with Gabrielle, who I listened to just before I started recording this. You can follow us on Twitter at LockdownMLB underscore net. We're also at LockdownMLB on Instagram. I'm your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. You know, I'm not going to get political. It was a big day on Tuesday. And, I didn't, you know, we got conservative people listening to the show, liberal people listening to the show, probably people who are Trump supporters, people who hate Trump, all this stuff. But an interesting thing happened. I, I, I make no bones about them. I do skew to the left, but I don't. I try to make this a non-political show. I know some people have accused me of being political on here. Stating my opinions of things and tying baseball into them doesn't make me political. It means that I understand that baseball does not take place in a vacuum and nothing avoids politics. Nothing. But I openly welcome everyone of all political stripes to the show. I will say that the candidate that I personally supported and voted for in the primary doesn't look like they're going to win. And I'm going to have to support someone who I did not vote for in the primary. And an interesting thing popped in my head at that point, because I'm thinking to myself, I know this is not a game and it's not a sport. And I think there's too much of treating politics like it's a game or a sport. But this did pop into the cranium that I keep in the top of my head, which is it reminds me a little bit of when the team you're rooting for in the playoffs gets eliminated. And you're like, now what do I do? And the year I remember specifically that in 1995, the Red Sox, my team that I grew up with, made the postseason as the division champion, and they played the Cleveland Indians. The Cleveland Indians were heavily favored, and I was rooting hard for the Red Sox. And the Red Sox got swept. Game one was a classic, extra inning game, Tony Pena's walk-off homer, and then the Indians just smacked the Red Sox around in game two and three, and the series was over. And suddenly, the whole season where you devoted so much time and energy to support a team, and they're gone. And that's kind of like if you've been supporting a candidate all this time with images of her or him in the White House, and suddenly you realize that's over. Now what? And then you latch on to someone else. And in 1995, I immediately latched on to the Mariners. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for the Mariners. Ken Griffey Jr. has always been one of my favorite players. They had the wild finish to make the playoffs against 
the Angels. They had the unbelievable division series against the Yankees. The Red Sox were living and said, to heck with it all. I want the Mariners to go all the way. And the first round, I hated the Indians. And the second round, I hated the Indians because they were going up against the Mariners. I want the Mariners to knock out Cleveland, knock out Cleveland. Because, you know, Cleveland had had so much success. It was the first time the city has had a postseason team since in baseball since 1954. But this was the first ever Mariners team to get in. And, oh, come on. And then the second the Mariners got eliminated... I became the biggest Cleveland Indians fan in the world because I wanted the. I always hated the Braves. I always hated the Bobby Cox Braves. I'm still mad that they won a World Series. I hate Bobby Cox as a person, and I never liked his teams. And the minute the final out was made in the ALCS and the Indians clinched the pennant, I started rooting for them. You would have thought I grew up in Shaker Heights. And that happens politically sometimes. That you have one person who is your person. She's my woman. He's my guy. Whatever it is. And when they don't make it, you latch on to someone else. If they don't make it, you wind up cheering for someone who you may have been booing in the primary. That's happened to me uh, as... Sometimes that there have been people who I have supported didn't get the nomination. Uh, that's the case this year. But it reminded me a little bit of that 95 postseason where it was like in the World Series, I was cheering so hard for the Cleveland Indians to win. But in the first two rounds, I wanted them to get clobbered. It's weird, isn't it? How we could adjust our loyalties. Now, again... Sports and politics should not be that similar. Sports and politics should be passing resemblance, not complete doppelgangers. But that being said, there is a large number of people who are now going, oh, well, I guess I'll be with that person now. I, and I saw that on the Republican side, with many of my friends who are Republicans, all throughout 2016, because there were some people like Rubio, some people like Cruz, some people like this person, some people like that person, and very few of them, all, I can tell you, to a man and a woman of my conservative friends, none of them had the host of The Apprentice as the person they wanted to be the nominee. But eventually... It gets to the point like, well, who am I going to go for? Who am I going to vote for? And so on this weird Super Tuesday, it's made me think a little bit of the 1995 postseason, that that element that we have of the person or the team that we rooted against is now, I guess that's who I'm rooting for. It's a weird, weird animal. I want to just bring up stuff. I, if anyone's offended by that, I really honestly don't know what to tell you. My little political observation I made. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I do know what to say about something. That as someone who grew up in New England and as a Red Sox fan and everything, I, I think it's incredibly unfair that the Red Sox are trying to put a competitive product on the field. But how can a small market low-budget team like the Red Sox 
possibly compete when there are teams like the Milwaukee Brewers out there who just eat up all the big players. Someone will take that sound bite that I just said and take it seriously. The Brewers, who did lose several key players, including Mike Moustakis, in what was a frustrating offseason for a lot of Brewer fans, got some potentially good news. Good news if you're a Brewer fan. And that is Christian Yelich. Looks like he's going to sign a contract that will keep him with the Milwaukee Brewers for eight or nine more years. I have no idea what the money is, and I don't care. It's for a lot of money. It's for more money than I'm going to make doing Locked On MLB. And probably more money that you're going to make at your job. But it is the money that the market value for a superstar like Christian Yelich deems fair. And the Brewers realize that they have one of the elite talents in the game. And they turned over enough cushions, found enough change in the couch, and found a way to tighten their belts and sign them to a long-term deal. And here we are. Will this work out? I don't know. But it is a move that tells the fans, hey, we acknowledge that these are good years for the Milwaukee Brewers. The Brewers made it to Game 7 of the National League Championship Series in 2018. They made the wild card game last year, even though Yelich missed basically the last month of the season. They have one of the elite players in the game who won the MVP in 2018 and probably would have won the MVP this last year if he didn't miss those last few weeks. And so the Milwaukee Brewers are saying to their fan base, we know what we've got here. I'm the owner of the Brewers. I'm rich. Or to paraphrase from the Chris Rock routine, forget being rich, I have wealth. I'm wealthy. My money has money. Therefore, I can afford to sign this player. And if you're a Milwaukee Brewers fan, you can attach emotion to him. Now, granted, they also did the same thing for Ryan Braun, who won an MVP that is riddled with steroid implications to it. But that being said, if you're a Milwaukee fan, you can still attach emotion to that player. There are plenty of players who took PEDs that fans adore. Did I mention Big Poppy? Did I mention Andy Pettit? Now, granted, Ryan Braun acted like a fink when he threw the, was it the UPS delivery guy or the FedEx delivery guy under a bus, calling him a liar and everything? It turns out he was telling the truth. Fine. But if you're a Brewers fan, I rooted for him his whole career. And now you can do the same, not his whole career, because he was a Marlin at one point, Christian Yelich, but his prime. We're going to get his whole prime in Milwaukee. And there you go. They get it. They get that there are not many players like Christian Yelich. We've got him. We've got the money. Why don't we just tell our fans, yeah, he's going to be around for a while. Attach all the emotion of the world to you. Why do the Brewers get that and the Red Sox don't? John Henry's money has money. The money of John Henry's money is richer than anything I will ever see in my life. He could afford to pay 
a luxury tax to keep a, well, let's just call them a generational talent in Boston. They didn't. They didn't. And they did a couple other things that may have, if you will, sullied the water, leading to the trading of Mookie Betts. I wrote a tweet back in 2018, and I got a little guff for it. The date of this tweet was December 13th, 2018. Less than two months after the Red Sox won the World Series with Chris Sale on the mound. I wrote this. Chris Sale is signed through 2019. He will either A, get hurt in 2019, or B, pitch great, demand a $200 million contract, which he will inevitably break down in the middle of it. His trade value now is sky high, and the Red Sox already got what they wanted out of him. Why not shop him? We now found out, as Chris Sale showed up to spring training, as Gabriel talked about on Lockdown Red Sox, with some sort of sleeve on his arm to deal with all the issues that you could have with your arm and your ligaments and everything like that, they're going to make some sort of announcement regarding his elbow tomorrow. And by the time you hear this, you'll probably know, but I think we all know what it is. The dude's hurt. He had a bad year last year, or mediocre year, which is bad for an ace. And he is inevitably going to be, he's going to miss opening day, and he's breaking down. And the long-term deal that they signed with him may have been one of the things that precluded the Red Sox from keeping Mookie Betts. Now, I think that's a BS excuse. They've got the money to do it. But as I noted back in 2018, the reason I was for Chris Sale trade then, and it's time-stamped, was not because of money necessarily, but because his value was at its peak. Every team can afford this, and the Red Sox are one of the most wealthy teams in baseball. They can sign anyone they want. But the fact that Sale had a trade value that was through the roof after that World Series, this would have been the kind of trade that you could say, actually, that makes sense. The reason they got Chris Sale was to deliver a World Series title to the Red Sox. He did that. And everyone knew he was a health risk. They signed him to the long-term deal, and here we are. Here we are. He's there long-term and not Mookie Betts. And that generational talent is going to be beloved in Los Angeles. Meanwhile, Christian Yelich, who was acquired in what has to be one of those lopsided trades in recent years because it involved the Marlins, Milwaukee gets it. And the Red Sox didn't. And my predictions, trust me, I'm not trying to claim I'm Cassandra, for those of you who understand Greek mythology. I'm usually wrong. But this was an instance that when I said that, I got some people responding back to me saying I was an idiot. I wasn't. And now he's going to have zero trade value. And the Red Sox are going to try to rebuild. While Mookie Betts probably goes on a parade in L.A. And may face Christian Yelich several times down the road in the postseason. But we can all be thankful that John Henry saved some money. All right, I won't talk about this tomorrow, I promise you, but I had to get that off my chest. 
follow us on the free and easy to use Himalaya podcasting app on all the places you get your podcasts. This has been the Locked On MLB podcast for the fourth day of March 2020. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.